The Lord reigns, let the people tremble. He sits between the cherubims, let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and He is high above all the people. Let them praise Thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. Good morning. Welcome to worship this morning. Uh, Great to see a, a big crowd here, and welcome visitors. You know, you're not really visitors because we're all brothers and sisters in Jesus, but glad to have you here. Open your Bibles. I want to do a very elementary and basic exercise. So you've got your Bibles. Open them up to Hebrews chapter 4. If you were here or if you were not here for our Sunday school opening, Deaton gave all of us really a bit of a stern charge. We need to quit being so apathetic. And we need to get busy doing what God tells us to. Keep that in mind. So Hebrews chapter 4, I just want to read verse 12. So you've got your Bibles open in your hand, on your lap, on your phone. Verse 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So I read a psalm there at the beginning that talked about the power of God. We have here, bound up mine probably in fake leather, the Word of God. I want to read you a a quote from a man. He was a preacher, probably said this about 150 years ago or so. Charles Spurgeon, maybe you've heard of him. He said this, The Word of God can take care of itself, and will do so if we preach it, and cease defending it. Sometimes in our day, we'll hear of a tragedy, and someone will say, pray for these people. And then there'll be a detractor somewhere else that'll say, what's with all your prayers? They don't work. Makes me indignant. And I want to rise up and and defend God. This man, Charles Spurgeon, said, cease defending it. See you that lion. They have caged him, the word of God being the lion in this, they have caged him for his preservation. Shut him up behind iron bars to secure him from his foes. See how a band of armed men have gathered together to protect the lion. What a clatter they make with their swords and spears. These mighty men are intent on defending a lion. O fools and slow of heart, open the door. Let the Lord of the forest come free. Who will dare to encounter him? What does he want with your guardian care? Let the pure gospel go forth in all its lion-like majesty, and it will soon clear its own way and ease itself of its adversaries. So the elementary exercise we did was simply to free the lion. Open the Bible, read it, and preach it. And that, I would say, Deaton, is the first step to the end of our apathy. Open the Bible, read it, and then go forth out of these doors and preach it. So, let's also pray to God. Don Hostetler, will you pray? I'm going to take prayer requests here. Does anybody have anything that you would like us to pray about for you this morning? Or praise God. David. Remember the Raleigh family? 
Kurt's father passed away, remember Kurt and Arlene and their family in prayer? Anyone else? Gail. Pray for Virginia Fisher, healing from shoulder surgery. Mike. Pray for Ryan Miller, has a knee surgery coming up. Bev. Youth retreat within a couple weeks. Keep them in your prayers. Pray for youth retreat coming up in a couple weeks. Phil. Zach and Andrew are in the Lima Correctional, I believe, on a weekend ministry. Betsy. Uh, my sister's family were recently diagnosed with Pray for Betsy's sister, Sandy, who starts treatments this week for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Good stuff. Any more? If not, Brother Don, let's bow in prayer.
It's a privilege to have with us today Mark and Teresa Andrews from the Grandview Congregation. Brother Mark. Good morning. Seems like I'm here periodically.
he said very quietly. <laughs> well, it is good to be here, regardless of how often I'm here, and it's good to have others with you, or with us, others of you with us that are not normally here as well, and I have to admit, I don't know who you are, um, those of you who shouldn't be here, or I guess I should say should be here but aren't normally here. Uh, it is good to have you with us as well. We have a common bond, hopefully, in Jesus Christ, and we are thankful for your presence here and trust that as we worship the Lord together, as we study from his word, that he will not only be in our midst, but that he will go with us from this place and he'll take what is said here and ensconce it into our being so that it is part of our fiber, so that it is who we are, so that it describes us, not just head knowledge, but our character and our integrity is part, is made up of that which comes from his word. And it'll make us into who we ought to be in him. That's the important aspect of this. We're not here just to hear a lecture. It isn't something that we're doing just for educational purposes that we can impress somebody else. But what we want to do as we look into the word is take that and be able to inculcate it as a part of our fiber, as a part of our being, as who we are. And because we do that, it will come back out wherever we are and in whatever circumstance we find ourselves. And it will prove to those around us that we are actually a people of God. And the thing about it is, and I appreciated this, mess, this the message of the song that we just read, just uh, sung, uh, sang together this morning, Stand Up for Jesus. Stand Up, stand, it's an old song, and I've, I've probably sung it yeah, maybe in my life, maybe a hundred times I've sung that song before. I know most of it by heart. I certainly know the melody by heart. Uh, and and uh, most of the bass and most of the tenor and, 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 and the words. But, you know, the fact of the matter is that standing up for Christ uh, is more than just a song. It's actually, if we have the Scripture in our hearts and minds, it's something that we will want to do. It's something that is, will be a part of us. We won't have to be encouraged or prompted to do it. It will just come naturally to us. And there's coming a time when that is going to be more of a challenge than it is today. So if you'll turn with me to the 20th chapter of the Revelation, I just want to make some points about this, um, some of the things out here. I'm not interested right now in the chronology that we find in the Revelation. Those men, uh, some men who are smarter than I am, who are more well-studied, uh, who have made it maybe a life's practice to study the revelation, maybe uh, understand the chronology of it all better than I do. That's not really what I want to get at this morning. What I'm interested in this morning is, is, is the uh, truths or the elements behind these events. And I want to look at them uh, this morning by way of encouragement for us that we might understand what's coming and how we need to be prepared for it. In the 20th chapter of the Revelation, I'm just going to start reading at the first verse. This says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season." Now this, this uh, sequence of events, again, uh, 
the chronology of it is not so important to me for the purposes of this message. It's just that we have to understand that uh, there is something, and this is something that we, I, I believe, we've heard preached. We, we know in a peripheral sense, uh, but we're not necessarily aware of it um, in the day-to-day -day, -day -day lives that we uh, experience. We experience time in, a, in a, a sequential order. Each second follows another second, which builds into a minute, which builds into an hour, which builds in uh, ultimately to a lifetime. And we experience life in this way, in a sequence of events. But we're also, because we're made in the flesh and can experience time, we're all, we also have kind of a veil between us and the eternal, uh, between us and the, and the spiritual realm, which we cannot see with our eyes. Uh, someday we will see it in a much more clear sense, but right now we don't. And so some of these events that we read in the prophecies are ones that happened behind the curtain, as it were. Ones that we cannot see except in the physical evidence that we it will experience as human beings in the sequence of time. And so what has happened here is that uh, the Lord has fought the battle for his people and he has overcome Satan. And it, and it indicates in these verses that Satan will be bound for a thousand years. Now, mixing the eternal and the sequential in time, I do not understand. God is in control of that. Praise Him. I don't know how all that works. But what I do know is that the earth is apparently still standing at this time. And in this thousand years, Satan is bound. He cannot affect mankind. But simultaneously, the Lord is ruling the earth and the saints are ruling the earth for a thousand years. Now keep that in mind. I don't believe we're in that period of time yet, right? We're still uh, in, in, in the uh, sequence of events and time leading up to this point, as I would understand it. And so because we're not experiencing that, uh, we're looking at this as future prophecy. This is future prophecy. Uh, and so we saw in and we saw in verse three, he's cast into the bottomless pit. Satan is shut up, sealed up, and that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years be fulfilled. And after that, he's going to be loosed again. All right, we understand that simply because it's very plain language. Verse four, and I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, nor had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection on such, the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. We believe that the universe had a beginning, that God spoke it into existence. In, in the Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. Science sort of bears this out uh, with the theory of the Big Bang. They said that the, existence, that, that the universe came into existence in, a, in an instant of time, uh, in, 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 a, in a flash, in a, in a big bang, and, the, and from nothing sprang something. Kind of parallels what the Genesis tells us about God creating the earth, doesn't it? And the universe that's in it. From there they diverge pretty quickly, uh, but the fact of the matter is that what we believe is that the universe had a beginning. Now what we've experienced is that when, the, when something has a beginning, it also has an ending. 
And depending on the lifespan of whatever it is we're talking about, uh, we can experience those lifespans uh, in, a, in a very short amount of time. Well, we see insects that are born and live their life in just a few hours or days or weeks, and they're gone again. Uh, but they propagate themselves on by laying eggs or having offspring, and, and, and life continues in that way. We've seen those who have been born many years before us, and we've seen their passing, uh, how they, they died. They had a beginning, they had a birth, and they had an ending. And so that is a part of our, our understanding of the passage of time, how time affects us, because there is a sequence of life uh, beginning, of the life lived, and of life being ended. Typically, things that have a beginning, in our experience, also have an end. And this concept is not new to us. We see the cycle of life beginning and life ending all the time. Christ, in fact, compared our lives to the grasses of the field, which he said spring up, flower, and then fade away. The writer of the Ecclesiastes noted this as well thousands of years ago. He said, to everything there is a season, a time to every purpose under the heaven. And the first thing that he mentions when he gives examples of that is the, the, the first time span he mentions is a time to be born and a time to die. So we understand there's a lifespan given to the creation of the universe as well. And we read that in the scriptures. The Revelation speaks of the end of the world as we currently experience it. As we currently experience it. And we're told that there's going to be new heavens and a new earth. But I want to, to kind of tie this into something else. God is called the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. So even in the existence of our Creator... Uh, even in the name of our creator, I should say, we understand that there is a, the concept of a beginning and the concept of an end. Beginning and end, alpha and omega in our creator. When God, the alpha and omega, draws the curtain on his beautiful but sin-cursed earth, we will stop experiencing this life, this earth, as we know it now. And we don't know whether we, we will be around when this happens. We, whether we will be living when, when, when God uh, calls an end to it, uh, when Christ returns again, we don't know. We're not given that uh, understanding. We're just simply told, be prepared, be ready as believers, be ready for that time. And, neither, and, and, and uh, either life or the end of the universe is something for which we should be prepared. We're warned that life is short, right? That we should make the most of the time we have to fight in ourselves uh, to return through the gift of God in Jesus Christ to be the righteous man that he built us to be. So we, as Christians, we get this message. We understand it. Whether we're a new Christian, uh, whether we've been raised in a, in a, in a, in a, a, a godly family, or a Christian family, or whether it's something that is a new concept to us, well, we can understand these things because of our lived experiences in life and in death. So therefore, when we read these things in the Revelation, when the day comes that is talked about here in the Revelation, we should be aware of some crucial elements of life and events. And that's really what I want to drive at this morning. And I appreciated uh, the, 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 uh, the, the lesson, the admonition given before Sunday school this morning, as well as the opening to the preaching service. But what is striking about that is, is that each generation 
uh, has to hear a message that pulls them to the point of understanding that life is serious, that this is a serious business. When we're young, we want to party. We want to have fun. We want to enjoy life, and that's a natural thing. God's put that in us. The problem is, folks, that we're living in a sin-cursed world, and because of that sin-cursed world that we're living in, it, it, it perverts ever, almost everything that is good. Everything that is good, uh, we can see a perversion of it, a twisting, uh, and so that something that is truth uh, can be twisted and become a lie. And that is so often what happens uh, to us. We, we say things like God created us and he created us to appreciate and enjoy life. He created us to eat and, so we be, uh, and to enjoy eating and so we become gluttons. Uh, he, he, he gave us the, the gift of, of, of intimacy with, our, with our, our spouses and we turn that into all sorts of perversions. Uh, he gives us the, the opportunity to enjoy the creation around us. And we do that to the exclusion of honoring the one who built that for us, who gave us the opportunity to enjoy the beauty of the earth, even though, to, though it is sin-cursed. And we focus on that. So we go off in so many different directions and we concentrate on so many things that are self-centered that we leave behind the creator, the alpha and the omega, who will draw, this, draw the curtain on this world someday. So I want to, as, as we look at this, I just want to pull some lessons out of this uh, that, that, that I think we need to be aware of. Uh, not that we're studying the revelation for the understanding of every end time event, but the, but the title of this message is The End, The End, At The End at the end because we understand that we have started somewhere that the universe has started somewhere the world has started it's going to end folks it's going to end and whether it ends for you before whether it end whether life ends for you before the universe does or before Christ returns again or if you're still here there is coming an end there is coming an end and that end is is closer today than it was yesterday now there's some wisdom but the fact of the matter is that we are, it seems as though, and I know there's been other times in history, if you'd have lived through the Holocaust, you'd have thought the end was near. You'd have thought the end was near if you were a Jewish person, a Jewish family. The incredible, incredible persecution that they faced. But, but, but go to war-torn countries, go to the Ukraine today and experience that war. Uh, you, in your personal experience, the world would be ending. There's thousands and thousands of people that have lost their lives there. Thousands of people around the world that lose their lives every day to violence, to the hatred of some other people group, some other country, uh, some other person. And, and people lose their lives constantly. And there's no guarantee that you and I won't lose our lives in a similar manner. But the fact of the matter is that as we look into passages like the Revelation, we, we can be taught some things about what is important in our life and what we should be preparing for and how we should view the life that we have. If we think life is all a big party, uh, life is going to teach us otherwise pretty quickly. And it's going to do so pretty brutally in some cases. We live a very cushiony, a cushioned life. Uh, we're sitting here in cushioned seats in an air-conditioned auditorium with the sun shining outside and, and, and a happy event that just transpired last night that many of us were uh, uh, privileged to experience. And we anticipate going uh, to our homes in peace this afternoon and having all of these things. But what if they are taken away from us? Uh, so this is what I want us to see. First of all, just as there is a Redeemer, 
Just as there is a redeemer, there is also a deceiver. And folks, this deceiver that was cast into the pit that we read about in the 20th chapter of the Revelation, this deceiver doesn't take a vacation. He doesn't take a day off. He doesn't need a day off. He's tireless, and he's got a lot of employees working for him. And they work tirelessly as well. And their job, the focus of their job, the focus of their existence, the focus of their hatred, the focus of their determination is you and it is I. And it is every other human being on the face of the earth. But one thing that they want to do, the, 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 the focus of their being, the focus of their work, is to bring down people, to take them away from God, to make this word that we're reading this morning a myth in the minds of people to make it something that is only uh, smoke and mirrors, something to control people, something that is a, a fantasy that, that allows some men to control other men. Folks, I don't want to control you. I don't care uh, what, what position or point in life we are. The fact of the matter is that God is calling you and he's calling me uh, to a certain life. And he's telling us, look, here's the truth. You've got to believe it. You've got to believe it before it's too late. You've got to believe it before the end of life. You've got to believe it before, the, before I call an end to, to time and, and, and you rock it into eternity. You've got to believe these things. If you do not believe these things, you're going to go into eternity unprepared. And that is one thing that I find amazing. There is a deceiver. And that deceiver is doing his best to draw a doubt into your minds and into my minds. And there is no doubt that he has deceived millions upon millions upon millions of people with false religions, false philosophies, nonsense, self-centeredness. And he's, he's telling us, God's telling us, look folks, you've only got a few years. Your life is as the grass of the field. It it, it, it comes up, it flowers and blooms, and then it recedes and dies and decays. You've got time. You've got time, sequential time. Each second of the day as your mind works to accept the truth that you can find in this world. And the truth is found in the scriptures. And if you don't believe the truth that is in front of you, someday you're going to confront the truth and it's going to testify against you. And so, as this scripture says, he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him and, and shut him and, and, and put a seal upon him that he should what? That he should deceive the nations no more. That he should deceive the nations no more. There's going to come a time, a thousand years, where the saints of God are going to reign, Christ is going to reign, and Satan's going to be sealed up. Won't that be a wonderful time? We don't have to deal with the deceiver. But I don't mean to throw water on the party. But listen to what it says. Now, this is astounding me. Every time I read this, I'm like, man. Here's people who live a thousand years with Christ as the head. With no deceiver. And it doesn't indicate necessarily. I, I don't, I'm not sure what the state of these people are on the face of the earth at this time. What the state of their soul is. We, we, still, I would understand it to be that they are still under the curse of sin. But isn't it going to be something to live for a thousand years with Jesus at the helm? 
But what happens at the end of a thousand years? It says, if I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, it says that he must be loosed for a little season after the thousand years are fulfilled. And why is he going to be loosed? And I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection on such Uh, The second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So you have this beautiful picture. At the end of the thousand years, Satan is loosed again. And it says, when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations. He's going to do it again. And he's going to have such influence upon a people who hadn't experienced his work before that he's going to be able to deceive them again. Human beings are subject to deception. That's the lesson we need to learn. You are no exception. I am no exception. We have doubts. We have fears. We have things that influence us that will lead us away from Christ. There are people and philosophies and science, so-called, that tell us things about the universe and about ourselves and about people and, 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 and ideas that... They just get into a whirl and it's chaotic and pretty soon we just don't know what the truth is. How can we ascertain the truth? So what are we going to build our lives on? What are we going to believe? What's important? What's not important? I mean, if people in the time after a thousand years of the rule of Christ and righteous people are able to be deceived by this guy, folks, he can deceive us. He can deceive us. Except... When we have the Spirit of Christ living within us, we have a sword and a shield and the armor of God that can protect us from what's called in eloquent eloquent language the fiery darts of the devil. Those fiery darts are simply lies that are launched against us to tell us that what we understand to be true is not true and that really, in reality, there is no truth. Make your own truth. Make it good. uh, Enjoy it and then die. And that's it. So the devil is a deceiver and he shall go out and deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea, And it says in this final battle, they went up in the breadth of the earth, compassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city. And when it looked like all was lost, when there was an innumerable number of people, when they were covering the ground from horizon to horizon as far as the eye could see, and there was no hope left, they, they were going to swarm over and they were going to destroy everything in their path. What happens The only Savior that can save, that has been saving, and that has been in the business of saving people ever since they fell into sin, that same God sends down fire out of heaven, consumes them completely. And the devil that deceived them was again cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, or he was cast into the lake of the fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and should be tormented day and night forever and ever. Scripture, in fact, tells us that hell was created specifically for Satan. It's just that people are fighting to get into it, too. They don't want to be left behind. 
I want to look at something else in this scripture. This deceiver that's able to deceive so many people in so many different eras over such a great span of time who is so well practiced and so good at it. He's not, praise God, praise God, he is not successful in every life on the face of the earth. Because if I read this correctly, and I do, because it's in English and I can read, it says, verse 4, I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that what? That were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, nor had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Folks, this is testimony that the deceiver, though he is deceptive, <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> though he is deceptive, though he is cunning, though he is able, though he is practiced, though he is good, he's an expert at deceiving people. He can't fool everyone. And the reason he can't fool everyone is because there are those who understand what truth is, who have been led by the Holy Spirit of God to believe in the truth. And because of that, they were able to withstand an unprecedented time of oppression, a repression, depression, call it whatever you want. But they were able to withstand. And the reason that they were able to withstand is because, not because they're so strong, they're so wise, they know so much, they're so educated, they're so sophisticated, they're whatever. It's none of that. But these are people from every walk of life, from every country, from every uh, part of the earth, I believe, who believe on, this, on the name of Jesus Christ. And I don't believe they all knew exactly the same amount. I don't think they all know everything about God. I don't think they all had all of the scriptures of, of the Bible memorized. I think some of them are going to be some of the most simple people that you would ever meet on the face of the earth. But they're going to have a simple and a pure faith that says this is the word of God, it is truth, and I believe it, and come what may, I'm going to continue to believe it. And when that happens, it doesn't matter who comes against them, or when he comes against them, or why he comes against them, or what he comes against them with, they are going to continue to believe, even to the end of their life. Now, the question is, is that you, and is that me? Can we withstand? The question that our brother asked this morning is very simple. Do we have what it takes? Do we really believe? Is it making a difference in our life? Are we really willing to sacrifice anything, anything of self for the Lord? Or are we so self-centered? Are we so self-focused? Are we so self-important that we're going to set our life and our pleasures and ourself above the word of God, above his commandments and above his will for our lives? That's the question. In other words, if this happens in our time, is there going to be anybody in this audience, if this would begin today and we would lose, that we would be required <clears throat> to stand up for the cross of Jesus, is there going to be any of us described in this? Let me read this to you again. And I want you to personalize this. Put your name in here. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, including Mark. Is that going to be true or am I going to buckle? You see, it's not going to be just somebody that makes fun of me in the public place because I bowed my head in prayer before a meal. 
It's, it's not going to be uh, just a little bit of, of uh, snarkiness in the press about those you know, stupid, backward uh, Christian people who you know, get in the way of progress. It's not those idiots who believe in some guy that lived 2,000 years ago and had people write a book about him, and then they believe with no other evidence that he existed or that anything he had to say was worthwhile. Or that book, which is so contradictory, uh, called the Bible and has all of these fallacies in it. Now, these people are going to face the edge of the sword. They're going to be kind of like some of the things we heard about the martyrs of Christ in Iraq and in other countries who were bound ankles and wrists and made to kneel with their head on a block with a dull sword or a dull knife because they wouldn't recant the name of Jesus. That's who's here. It isn't people who were made uncomfortable. It isn't people who were so timid in their walk with the Lord that they didn't speak up when the name of Christ was being smeared. That's not who these people are. I'm sorry. I just don't get that picture. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. Their lives were a witness for Jesus. Their mouths were a witness for Jesus. Their testimony was for Jesus Christ. They weren't ashamed of him. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you before my father. But those who are not ashamed of me, I will confess their names before my heavenly father. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. They believed the word of God. The word of God was something that they might not have had access to except in a few ripped out pages somewhere because of persecution or whatever. Or it might have been that they had to hide the word of God in their hearts because the word of God uh, was dealt with by governmental forces taken away from them. The word of God was something that became real and alive to them and they lived it and they breathed it and they worshiped the God of that word. The word of God was so precious to them that when their heads were on the chopping block, they said, go ahead, go ahead. The souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus <coughs> and for the word of God. And which had not worshipped the beast. <clears throat> you know, we all think, yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's going to be hard maybe at some point to kind of figure out what's going on. But once we understand who the beast is, uh-uh, not, not for us, not for me. Uh-uh. But have you ever felt societal pressure and it's kind of made you knuckle under? I think when the deceiver gets a hold of us, the human beings on the earth, I think when he gets a hold of us and he really be begins to bring pressure to bear, I don't think we have even come close to experiencing anything like these people are going to experience. They're going to reign with Christ for a thousand years for a reason, people. It's not because they had a bumper sticker with a cross on it on their car, okay? And it says that 
They had not worshipped the beast nor his image, neither had received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. Our understanding of this, and my understanding of this is pretty rudimentary, but my understanding of this is that people who don't have the mark are going to go hungry. They're going to have to scrounge for food, for existence. They're going to not be able to trade. They're not going to be able to buy and sell. And you can say, you can have all the theories you want. I, I, I get it. Our electronic uh, uh, money system is going is to make that much easier. It's going to make uh, the electronic communication around the world is going to make it much easier for a one-world system uh, where the beast and, and, and the prophet can hold sway uh, to get their message out. And it's also going to make it much easier uh, for them to control the world uh, by whatever means necessary. Part of that is going to be economic. And if we uh, are unable to buy and sell, uh, just think about that for a few minutes, and it won't take long for a flood of, of, of uh, apprehension to begin uh, to well up in you, because uh, this is not a matter of not being able to go to the grocery store, uh, but just instead I'll order it online and have it delivered. Amazon is not going to deliver to you if you don't have the mark, okay? That's how it's going to be. Oh, well, I'll grow my own. Yeah, good luck with that. A little spray could take care of that. The word of God, which had those who had not worshipped the beast nor his image, had received his mark in their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. I don't even know where I'm at in my notes here. Let's see. Those two things, very, very important. Blessed and holy, the scripture says, is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. I suppose this morning what I wanted to, us to get out of this is, first of all, the possibilities. The possibilities. The possibilities are that we as Christians may not face what's described in these last chapters of the Revelation at the end. We may be somewhere in the middle. We may be somewhere really close to the end. We may be in the end and not really aware of it. Wherever we're at on that spectrum, the scripture encourages us simply to be ready. Because we can be deceived. The deceiver is out there. He's good. The second aspect of that is that being ready may constitute something that we have no idea about. Being ready may be that which only God is going to equip us to be ready for. And I'm, I'm, I'm 100% confident of that. That's not the point. The point is, it's not that we need to make ourselves ready by our own strength and power. We simply need to believe the truth. 
And the truth will begin to equip us. And as we get into the truth further and further and we become more and more convinced of the truth, then we will be equipped by God through his Holy Spirit to be able to overcome come what may. Folks, it's going to happen. There are those who are going to be beheaded for the witness of Christ. There have been in the past. There are those in the current. And there will be those in the future who have to face death of this life for the name and the word of Jesus Christ. Will it be you and I is the question. And if it comes, are we ready? Well, I don't know if I can answer that question for you. Uh, I have to answer it for me. And then the scripture indicates that God takes care of things. He does. There's an end to everything. There was a beginning to the tribulation and there's going to be an end to the tribulation. There's going to be a beginning to the martyrs for Christ and there's going to be an end of those who have to give their lives for the, for the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't know when that is. We don't know how that is. We just know that God's going to bring an end to it. But at the end, at the end, where are you going to be? At the end of your life, where are you going to be on this spectrum? At the end of the world, if that would happen to be during your lifetime, where will you be on this spectrum? Are you going to wait till tomorrow? Are you, going to, are you going to begin yesterday? Have you begun? Where are you at on that spectrum? And it's not for me to decide that for you. I'm simply trying to encourage you that this is real. This is as real as it gets. It isn't a fallacy. It isn't a fake. No matter what Satan tries to tell us today, this is real. It's going to happen. We need to live that way. We need to live in the truth. And they that live in the truth will be prepared for the worst. Now it says in the 11th verse of this 20th chapter, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works." And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Is it critical what we believe? It seems to me it is. This great white throne judgment is for those whose name was not found in the book of life. And they are cast into the lake of fire. Oh, what a story. I'm going to scare you right into heaven. What are you going to make of it? We just live, we live day to day. Never seen a lake of fire. Never experienced anything like that. Figment of my imagination. Story in a fancy book. What is it? You have to make that determination for yourself. I can't make it for you. But it is compelling. It is compelling to me to read something like this. Because at the end, when it is all said and done, you are the only one. You are the only one that can determine the outcome. 
I can't determine it for you. I can try to be convincing. I can try to encourage, and, and, and I should, and we should. But you're the only one that makes that decision. And each of these people who stand at the great white throne judgment before God give an answer for themselves. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And then, and then there is a new beginning. The Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, is a God of new beginnings. He's a God of new beginnings of a universe. And I don't know, I've said, probably said this before. I don't know that this is the only universe God created. You know, there's something that a concept that popped into the head of some man someday and he said you know one of the only ways that it can be possible for this earth and this world and people uh, and this universe to exist and give rise to life like this is if there is a multiverse in other words there's a countless uh, innumerable number of universes and the odds are that we happen to live in the one that everything came together just right to create the conditions in which life can spring from nothing. And here we find ourselves. And the rest of the multiverse, we don't know. You know, more life there? Don't know. We don't know if there's life in this universe other than ourselves. We're searching for it. You ever heard of the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, SETI? been looking for years for and they listen for radio signals and different types of signals that might indicate some intelligent life out there and they're looking in all the wrong places God's not found in the universe he created it he's outside of it but he's also inside of it and he's much closer than what they could ever imagine but a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea and I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, a new beginning. I'm looking forward to that. A new beginning. When all of my mistakes, misconceptions, stupidities, misunderstandings, sins are all wiped away along with my tears. And God ushers in a new beginning. But I'm thankful that in order to do that, that he gave me a new beginning some years ago. A new beginning to wipe away that which was before. And now gives me an opportunity to live in that which is now. A new beginning. But someday he's going to have to do it again. But he doesn't seem to tire of new beginnings. He can give you a new beginning. Whatever new beginning you need, he can do it. He can do it. The 22nd chapter of the Revelation, I just want to turn over a few, a few pages in some of your Bible, a few scrolls or button pushes on your phones. Revelation twenty-two fourteen. Blessed are they that do his commandments. Hmm, that sounds familiar. We've created a song blessed are they that do his commandments that came straight out of the scripture who knew blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and enter in through the gates into the city revelation twenty-two seventeen. 17 and the spirit and the bride say come and let him that heareth say come 
and let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Doesn't cost anything. Well, wait a minute. It did cost. It cost God everything. But it doesn't cost you and I. This has been the call of the creator of the universe from the beginning to the end. He is the Alpha and Omega. We are simply alive somewhere on that timeline spectrum. And the invitation is still open. The call still goes out. This is the reason that he is called the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. At the end, will you be with the Omega or apart? That's really the question. And the fact is that he gives us time right now to make that decision. He gives some of us a few years, some of us he gives a hundred years. But he gives all of us time and he gives us his Holy Spirit to call us. And he gives us his word to instruct us in righteousness and in truth so that we might know and so that we might be grounded and so that we might be encouraged and so that we might be warned and so that we might have doctrine and so that we might not be lost. Praise God. May he add his blessings. We'll come before him in a time of prayer. Brother Aaron, would you lead us as we kneel?